So yeah, in the in the holiday spirit of giving, uh, I was watching this video game stream where this guy <laughs> that's the true that's the real Christmas oh, yeah. spirit. I contributed. Uh, <laughs> uh, this guy played rock band drums for twenty four hours straight. Holy crap! He played two hundred and sixty songs, all on expert mode, and he got. Five stars on all but three songs. That's that's bonkers. Yeah, it was nuts. I was watching him. The the stream, they uploaded it in two-hour chunks in 12 parts. And I was just like, man, I'm going to watch just like the end. Because like, this dude's going to be falling apart. Right, yeah. But he was like, let's close it out strong with Freebird. Yeah, right. And he freaking nailed it. And it was amazing. You're, it, it was you're so expecting, crazy. You're expecting like the last act of Requiem for a Dream or something. <laughs> Yeah, I thought he would just be, like, one-arming it on easy mode, being like, this still count. <laughs> Technically, I'm still playing the game, right? But no, it was it was incredible. I, I've never seen anything like it. He raised, like, $109,000 during his 24-hour stream. It was nuts. What, uh, what cause was that going for? I mean, it all sounds good unless it turns out that the cause was for... Uh, it was for Build know, the like, Wall. Hashtag Build yeah, the Wall. Yeah, build, Building the Wall, right? <laughs> We need to build... <laughs> like for more more Israeli settlements or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hold on. <laughs> uh, Alec... Drum. <laughs> so you watch a bunch of this and you don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I I honestly don't. Uh, it's called the Extra Life Stream, which also sounds like a, a really tasty uh, like energy drink or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is. No, it wouldn't be an energy drink. It would be one of those. Uh, like little packets that people put in their uh like bottled water you know to make water taste <laughs> right. taste better uh yeah so this is let's see uh children's miracle hospital network uh all right i guess that sounds the, okay for the children's yeah uh, children's hospitals i guess that gets a pass bunch of virtue signaling signaling gamers yeah but uh yeah, all told, uh, that dude and then uh, the other people in his like gaming website, $310,000. Wow, good for him. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. But it's cool. It's cool stuff. I mean, I, I find like those are really great ways to get people to get excited about like giving money to charity, you know? <laughs> it's oh, usually absolutely. not very uh, exciting. Yeah, well, I, I mentioned it, it, it. I finally remembered what it was. The the one that Penny Arcade always did was uh, the Desert Bus for the Cure or something like that, where it was just it was a live stream of them playing this terrible game called Desert Bus. Oh yeah, for that's the Penny Arcade game on like Sega CD. It's so amazing. Oh yeah, and it's it's literally just driving a bus down an empty desert road. There are no obstacles. There are no objectives, really. You just have to keep driving the bus. But the bus slightly lists, I think, to the left. Yeah. So you have to be there to adjust it back to, like, keep yourself in your lane. And they would do it for, like, 36 hours at a time and raise, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars because it's also um, sort of precursor podcasting, right, where they're all just sitting around with friends and right. they'd have guests come in and take over the controller or whatever. They would uh, – it, it would go in, like, a uh... – an, esca an escalating like scale so like at first it was like hey every dollar is like a minute 
And then as they get higher and higher, now it's like, all right, now we have to get like $10,000 to play, right. you know, another, just another <laughs> minute because we're already playing it for like 36 hours straight. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's uh, it's it's basically like Twitch's answer to the old uh, telethon thing, you know, where people oh, would, totally. Absolutely. Would, would call in and you'd have uh, like the local uh, public access channel doing like 24 hours for cystic fibrosis or something like that. And they'd, they'd schedule all of the like local talent in to come in, you know, the guy who, the guy who can balance his dog on his head is on there for like a half an hour at fucking four 30 in the morning. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's pretty amazing. A lot of these, uh, charities and stuff, they do cool stuff. Like, um, they buy like video game systems for children's hospitals and stuff. Um, which is pretty great because a lot of times when you're a kid and you're hanging out in the hospital, the worst part about it isn't like the medical stuff you have to do. It's just that you have to be there for like hours and hours on right. and just sitting there yeah. doing nothing. And there's nothing to do. Yeah. yeah. Just feeling terrible. So the ability for them to buy that stuff and just be like, hey, why don't you just like play this video game that you can't afford at home while you're sure. while you're here waiting for three hours anyway. And then they're like, yeah. this is the best day of my life. Hell it's yeah. Great. I think it's amazing. What a what a nice way to kick off our Thanksgiving show. Let's intro. Welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast, and happy Thanksgiving. I guess Thanksgiving will have been in the past by the time you're hearing this, but we're recording it the night before in Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges, joined by my friend and constant companion, co-host on the show, Brendan Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. What's up, Brendan? You guys ready for the for the holiday? I'm ready. I have my entire Thanksgiving spread right out in front of me. This is the live eat uh, we're gonna just do an eat along, everybody. Um, people love that. That's their favorite thing to, when people are chewing on podcasts. I was right. right here. Now, are you are you a person who eats each of the dishes separately, or are you like me, where you kind of throw everything into a giant pile and just get like a little bit of everything on each forkful? You know, as a child, I used to be really big on the separation, and I've noticed yeah. this kind of about a lot of kids. There's two kinds of kids. One kid that's like, everything must be separate. If it touches, no. And then the other kid who's like, don't even care. Blah, 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 right. Stir it all Just together. I'm going to throw everything on and slop gravy yeah. over the top. So I used yeah. to be real neat about it, but kind of in my old age, uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> your I'm old getting age. sloppy with it now. Your, your old age of, you're, you're 34, you were, were the same <laughs> Dude, age. Dude, <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah, I'm feeling every, every year of the 34, bro. <laughs> Well, what do you think, uh, fresh or canned cranberries? Or do you guys do cranberry dressing? You know, I like the I like the fresh cranberries. It can go too far. Um, I've had mm-hmm. some some cranberry sauces where you're like, wow, okay, this is, you know, you put some jam in there or something. Yeah, like you yeah. got to sprinkle that, that powdered sugar on there or something. Right. I mean, our our traditional family recipe is just. It's just the fresh cranberries with a shitload of sugar. Yeah. So oh. <laughs> it, it gets all, like, nice and juicy in there. It's it's great. This, this reminds me of a friend of the show, uh, John Levitt, who tweeted that, like, $6,000 tin can from, like, oh, Tiffany yeah. or whatever. Yep. was like, well, how else are you going to, like, make a classic uh, cranberry sauce, you know, for <laughs> for your fancy Thanksgiving, your upper-class Thanksgiving? You know, you got to have the sterling silver 
tin can to get that shape right. John's whole thread was great oh. because uh, you know he's he's looking at all of these it, basically these these uh like designer like high priced items, but it's all just everyday items made out of expensive materials. And his whole point was like, how can you look at a like a like a five thousand dollar sterling silver tin can and not go like we've been here in the past like the rich have to know what's coming right yeah oh yeah it reminds me of this uh this tweet that was going around today where it was the wall street journal and it was like hey just because you work from home doesn't mean you can dress it down you know no sweatpants allowed like you stay professional (laughs) and then like linked to like their style guide or whatever. And it was like, why don't you wear these $900 loafers and this like $600 sweater instead? Right. <laughs> it's yeah, like, just, just, what? just keeping it nice and cash in front of the family in my, in my $20,000 getup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that I could like lounge on the couch and uh, check my emails. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Who does, who does the wall street journal think their audience is at this point? Uh, it's Rupert Murdoch. That's yeah. that's it. That's literally the only person who <laughs> it's just I think him. cares anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying something a little bit experimental for Thanksgiving dinner. I like almost a year ago I read this article about the history of apple pie and it said that uh apple pie being a sweet thing is a fairly new invention. It used to be a savory pie like back when Jeffrey Chaucer was still around. Um you would have uh you would have apple pies that incorporated like onions and turnip and sausages and lots of like savory herbs and spices and things. So I'm making one tonight that is uh, caramelized purple onion, uh, tart apples and uh, thyme and Gruyere cheese and chives. And uh, I, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if my family's going to kick me out of Thanksgiving, but it smells amazing so far. Bro, if it doesn't have squab meat in it, it's not even legit. Okay, you got probably true. You got to get right. the pigeon in there, or else yes, yeah. it's not a real pie. That's what British yeah, Bake Off taught me. Yeah, let's let's be honest though. At that time, it, Jeffrey Chaucer was around what in like the 1300s. <laughs> uh, they were probably eating whatever meat they could get their hands on. You know. Yeah, nothing like it a should good have... rat apple pie. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> there was never a plague it, or know, anything. That's that's a thing that I really love about um, like Skyrim. <laughs> where like rat continues to be an ingredient that you can build into your into your various ingredients. Yeah, hopefully they really up the cooking game in uh in the next Elder Scrolls. That's that's what I want. I I want an Elder Scrolls game that's really just cooking mama except in like a medieval context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty awesome. No, I do love it. The new Zelda uh on Switch has a a really in-depth cooking uh thing about it. Okay. Um, which is, it's actually really fun. You have to like cook spicy dishes when it's like you're in the cold in the mountains. Um, and then when you're like in the hot because that's desert, how food you have to works, right? cook yeah. cool dishes and stuff. Right, right. And, yeah, you can Cause, mix cause them together. Because that's, that's how food works. Um, Absolutely. D- depending on how spicy a thing is, the, the more or less it warms you up. I mean, I, the, the meter goes up. I don't know about in your life, but in mine, it's like, whoop, way into the red side. It might actually be true for white people, though, who, you know... <laughs> Who sweat buckets anytime they eat anything, uh, anything spicy at all? You can't get much whiter than Zelda. Let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. We're not eating mild paste bikani sauce in the middle of the summer. New York City. <laughs>
Well, what do we got? Um, there's been, I don't know. Uh, we, we made the joke last week that since we missed an episode, obviously nothing really like big and groundbreaking had happened in the world of politics or pop culture. But this week, it kind of feels like that's the case. I almost feel like everyone's kind of taking a week off. Yeah. You know, I, I'm happy to go more in on the on the pop culture side because, yeah, the news, man, it's like, it's not great, you know? It's, yeah. just, it's just bad all around. Right, right. Well, uh, uniting our love of both politics and pop culture, I guess I could talk about how I got into a Twitter beef with Scott Adams, uh, <laughs> yeah, Dilbert I mean, creator. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's the height of pop culture right there is <laughs> is Dilbert. I was uh, I was telling you uh, uh, in in the context of this amazing Twitter interaction that you had uh, that I was recently like, oh, I should clean up the basement. You know, people are coming over for the holidays and stuff, you know, tidy <laughs> up many, a little bit. Uh, how many Dilbert books did you find? I You know, I just had one, but I think it was like a triple pack. Oh man! I think I got it one time when it was like, you know, at the Barnes and Noble, like, bar- Not like a bargain bin set. or something. Was it in a box? No, it's just like a really thick one where it was like okay. one of those like multi, uh, you know, like Garfield used to do back in the right, day, right. you know, where it's okay. like three books in one. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just was like, man, this is sure taking up a lot of space. Uh, I really don't need this anymore. <laughs> I was like, maybe the maybe the kids would read. No, no, the kids don't yeah. want to read. Dilbert. Well, yeah, no, uh, every year uh, we really enjoy going to, so uh, I don't know if you guys have them up in Omaha, but down here there's a big franchise called Half Price Books, which is a big... Um, oh, yeah, I, I think we, there is one around. That's a pretty okay. cool place. Yeah, and every year they have this massive sale at the, uh, they, they rent out like the biggest room at the Arlington Convention Center, and it's all of their overstock stuff, all the stuff that they couldn't get rid of for whatever reason, and it's just like pallets and pallets of books and over the weekend they you know a table starts to get low and they just pull another box and just load them up again and it's it's a great place to go and find bargains we we end up spending like twenty dollars every year and coming home with 50 books or something that we actually want to own but every year also there are these two really long like banquet tables that are just overflowing with dilbert books and nobody is touching that shit. <laughs> They're just stacked from the floor to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Just brick up your house with with old Dilberts. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're doing like a daub and yeah. waddle uh, like insulation job on on like a side room or something, uh, consider uh, Scott Adams as uh, like an insulation material for you. Now he's still. You- He's still doing Dilbert, right? Like that's I think so. ongoing. It's right. every Sunday, or is it a day? Is he still doing the dailies? He I know might that still be doing the daily strip. Uh, Fox, I don't know, man. I haven't looked at the comic. <laughs> I haven't looked at the comic strip page in a newspaper in probably ten years, so yeah. I have no idea what's even out there. Now. I should I should go catch up with the comics curmudgeon so I could stay current. Yeah, the comics are not <laughs> right. as good as they used to be. I remember um, the guy who does Foxtrot. Uh, recently was like well not re- recently it was probably like 15 years ago now but he was like you know i draw one of these like every day and no one cares so i'm just gonna do it on sunday and people were like right. you know what that's fine that's that's for the best really yeah sure we can make we can make room for more of the 
uh, reboot of for better or for worse or yeah. something like that. I think the timeline started over again. Oh, um, they're so bad. You know, that's 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 another good like what's the audience for this question, right? Like who actually is reading like baby blues fucking 30 years after Oh, it's it like people like who are like 60, 65 plus like that right. are still reading the a physical newspaper. Also like, you know, people in um you know, bus stops and and waiting rooms. You know, all sure, <laughs> crowded, sure. Yeah. Uh, crowded the, uh, restaurant waiting rooms and things. Yeah, like the that. the random Ruby Tuesdays you walk into <laughs> where somebody left like a a copy of USA Today on the bar, right. and everybody's everybody's just been reading it for the past week. Yeah, and you know the random uh, you know Dilbert like offices of America where you know just <laughs> right. somebody just has a subscription to USA Today and you just are like, well, I guess they'll just look at this. What's the Man, least horrible thing i can look at in here i guess these comics i remember reading the strip as a kid and thinking this is so banal and like really not all of all that funny wait are you, ta- not you talking really... about the entire comics page because you described them all you, you nailed okay it. yeah fair <laughs> enough <laughs> no but at least like at least dick tracy like occasionally shakes things up dilbert has been literally exactly the same jokes like three or four formulaic jokes for like 25, yeah. 30 years at this point. You know, weren't they still crediting the Stan Lee uh, Spider-Man newspaper strip? I uh, think yeah, they were still Stan crediting yep. him. I, I, I'm pretty sure he wasn't directly writing uh, it yeah, at no, all. That's, and that, that one is incredibly bad. You know, I, I do have a, a partially because of the comics curmudgeon, I do have a soft, a soft place in my heart for some of these like long running sort of more realistic art uh like serial comics like the the spider-man one mark trail uh gasoline alley well don't forget serves up a, a surprising plot twist every once in a while the greatest one of all time mary worth mary worth <laughs> the most amazing even as even as a child i was like what who mm-hmm. how well there's mary worth and then there's that other one i think it's called gil thorpe <laughs> yeah which is basically like, as crazy as Mary Worth, except it all has to do with high school sports for some reason. Yeah. Like, you're, you're rooting for the, uh, like, the Edgewood Mud Dogs or something. It's, like, the, it's the Friday Night Lights of the, <laughs> right. of the 1940s newspaper, bro. <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, how did this even start? So, Jacob Wall. <laughs> <laughs> we've oh, talked about on the show before uh retweeted an image uh, it was just like a still shot from a video that scott adams made because scott adams dilbert creator also now fancies himself some sort of uh like polymath genius um try, trying to crack in on like jordan peterson's gig or something yeah. like giving people life advice and stuff uh and Jacob Wall tweeted out a still shot of this video that was Scott Adams standing in front of a whiteboard, a la Glenn Beck. And it was his theory about people who read fiction and people who read nonfiction. And it was like, fiction leads to empathy, leads to being a Democrat voter. And nonfiction leads to STEM, which leads to systems thinking, which leads to being GOP. Now there are like a million things wrong with this theory. <laughs> I, I, let's let's just name a couple just for yeah. just for fun. Well, so I, the idea I was... that that only fiction writing can give you empathy, 
and that I guess he's just basically saying like empathy is for the weak libs and yeah. not for the strong GOP. Like who needs empathy? Well, why yeah, don't like, we just what, murder everyone that we disagree with? What nonfiction is he talking about? I mean, I guess it's just like technical manuals because if you read a nonfiction account of somebody's battle with cancer or a nonfiction account of the the fate of Rohingya Muslims in uh, Myanmar. That's or fiction. That's like fiction. That. That's fake news right there. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I guess it's just it's just technical man- manuals and um, like old car repair things and um, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm Scott not sure Adams exactly. Is how like, he's oh, time to curl up on the couch with. The uh, IKEA instructions that uh, <laughs> right. I've been needing to catch up on. <laughs> so really generate my systems thinking. There's that. There's also the fact that um, I don't really associate scientific and systems level thinking with the GOP at this point. I mean, <laughs> they're all about process. Can't you tell? Mm. <laughs> they're procedural wizards. Well, they they definitely don't ever try to pass laws having to do with um, completely ahistorical accounts of America being founded on biblical values or uh, like evolution being a myth pushed by the Jews or climate change being some kind of a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese. Um, that's that's definitely not a thing that we would associate with the GOP. Certainly no uh, um, uh, intelligent design sort of stuff being pushed by GOP school board members all over the, the Bible Belt in the yeah. Midwest. That's just the pure systems thinking of the GOP, right? Where you're like, <laughs> right. let's analyze this complex system and just be like, well, it's probably uh, whatever a 2,000-year-old book said. Like, system closed. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there's that. There's also that, uh, I mean, pretty much anybody who makes it to like a master's level in any of the STEM fields ends up being a liberal or even farther to the left than that. As far as I can tell anyway. Uh, engineering, I think is the exception where a high propensity of, of engineers tend to uh, skew uh, conservative or libertarian okay. for some reason, which is very That'd strange, be, but yeah, pretty much that's... any other education level. I mean, from just, you know, college degree on, the the numbers of conservatives and like republican aligned people just drops off a cliff right yeah yeah absolutely um also the fact that there are plenty of i mean it, this was my reply to him which was like hey uh dr adams big big fan of your work um how do you how does your hypothesis account for the fact that one of the big co-indicators for being a stem lord is the only thing that you read is hente <laughs> well but his actual point was so he was making some sort of ridiculous argument about um well hey if like if if trump hates muslims so much then why does he like love saudi arabia like gotcha libs. Well, yeah, no. So this was this was the separate argument. So I was I I made that joke uh, in in the the Jacob Wall thread, and also joked about how you know basically Scott Adams being in that thread defending his own thesis right. uh, aligns himself with Jacob Wall, known systems thinker. Uh, yeah, but then he, but he systematically th- took down uh, <laughs> Robert Mueller. Haven't you read <laughs> Gateway Pundit? So, 
so I pop over to so I, I made that reply and I was kind of chuckling to myself and um, popped over onto Scott Adams's own Twitter page and the top tweet it, he may have had it pinned or maybe he had just said it um, was is today the day Democrats start complaining that President Trump is being too friendly with a Muslim country? This is almost as fun as watching the president back prison reform while Mexico complains about too many immigrants. Hashtag happy Thanksgiving. And this is just him being, uh, yeah, just (laughs) fucking mic drop, like owned them, owned, owned the libs. All the libs have to log off now because of this, you know, this amazing point that he's just made. And so I replied to him and I said, hey, can you point to a single Democrat who's saying that Trump is being too easy on Saudi Arabia in a way that implicates them being a Muslim country at all? Right. I don't think anybody was like, hey, they murdered that guy while being Muslim. And that's the the problem here. Um, right. Like, right. <laughs> the, the, it's, it's not so much the murders. Uh, well, maybe a little bit the murders, but, you know, also just they're Muslim. So... We got to just take him down a notch here, guys. Yeah. So he's still replying to me. This is we're we're over <laughs> 24 hours later and I'm, I'm still just trying to get him to 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 tell me how Saudi Arabia being Muslim has anything to do with why Democrats are pissed off at Donald Trump. Of course, uh, I'm sure the, the readers know the, the context, the readers, the listeners know the context for this, which is. Trump is going easy on Saudi Arabia, even though we know that they assassinated, uh, what's his name, Khashoggi? Yeah, that Jamal Khashoggi guy. Jamal Jamal Khashoggi. Was, uh, you know, a journalist who was writing a bunch of stories that were critical of the extremely repressive and horrific uh, government of Saudi Arabia, which, if you have never, like, read the Wikipedia page for Saudi Arabia, like, just go check it out for a little bit. And it's wild, you guys. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think I don't think anybody in America is really uh, under any kind of uh, delusion that Saudi Arabia is some sort of um, like bastion of like liberal free thinking or um, like good for that the Saudi regime is good for its people. Or hey, they like started that. letting uh, ladies drive, and uh, they let the Avengers movie go there, so it's it's on the up and up now. Right, right, it's all right. Fixed. So, so Scott Adams replies to me for a little while, and then his his stands take over, and uh, one one of them pointed out to me, if you concede that the media was wrong in their assessment of Trump and Muslims, I'll concede that what Scott Adams said about them being Muslim is irrelevant to everything else. Uh, to which I re- I replied, look, Khashoggi, he wasn't killed because he was Muslim. The Saudi Arabians did not kill him because they're Muslim. Uh, Trump didn't give them the kid glove treatment because they're Muslim. And the Dems aren't mad at Trump because Saudi Arabia is Muslim. Them being associated with Islam has nothing to do with any of this scandal. To which Scott Adams replied to me, cognitive dissonance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah no he nailed he nailed it right there yeah um it's like scott adams don't sign your tweets dude oh my god no i i was really hoping throughout this whole thing that i would eventually get scott adams to just say 
Well, obviously they killed him because Muslims are inherently violent. I was, I'm, I'm really trying to bait him well, into you know, saying something like that. I, you know, I don't know about Scott Adams and his wealth of, you know, critical analysis systems thinking, but for most Trump voters, that works just fine for them, right? Is that they say, you know, oh, well, you know, Saudi Arabia, they're Muslims and they just love to kill people. What, yeah, right, what no. you going to do? At least they got that oil money, you know, a million and- jobs. And if and if Scott Adams had admitted to me that really he just threw that in there as a shibboleth to his his rightward leaning fans, of which I, I think that's got to be like all of his fans at this point, then I at least would have understood why he did this. But he's still trying to like circle back around and make it make it my problem that I pointed out that ah, you, you brought up Islam in a way that really isn't relevant to this. And instead he's, he's playing logical fallacy bingo with me and all <laughs> these, all of these dudes, they're uniformly dudes are like jumping in to defend him. Like, Oh, you know, you're just taking this out of context yeah. or, or just naming logical fallacies at me. I have really noticed that, um, on Twitter, on, on YouTube, just on so many sites, there's just a preponderance of these videos that people make of these like fan videos of conservative pundits where they're like an analysis of Ben Shapiro and like why he's so extremely dominant <laughs> right, in all yeah. of his debates. And yeah, stuff. any any of those uh like Ben Shapiro crucifies Middle East uh, like human rights advocate on the on the Roman implement of tortuous execution of logic. Right. And you yeah. And it's just like you, there's just video after video after video. And it, it's it is an almost an amazing like mental exercise. It's kind of like a Ted Cruz thing, right, where he's like, I just love debating. You know, I don't even care if I believe my own positions or anything. I right. just pick a side, whatever side it is, whatever position Trump decides to take. He loves Saudi Arabia. He hates Saudi Arabia. He loves Muslims. He hates Muslims. You know, who knows? Doesn't matter. I'm just going to make whatever arguments I can make, and I'm just going to throw as many of them out there. And half of them don't make sense, but whatever. It doesn't really matter. You know, as long as you can just keep making the arguments for your side with no semblance of saying like, oh, you got me on that one. Uh, I guess I didn't make the best argument. Just no, just move on to the next one. Just no, move on you're to right. the next. And, and it's what it is, is it's it's terminal debate club kid syndrome. And it's remarkable that almost all of the people who were like big debate club kids in high school all have all gone like way conservative at this point. Well, I mean, is it even conservative or it's just, like I said, it's just whatever... Like, I don't even know what conservative is anymore because it just seems to be whatever Trump says. And it's all like, right, no, that that's, has nothing that, to do with conservatism no, at all. That's, and that's why it's become this, like, farcical exercise of pedagogy where it's just people just spouting off, like, whatever nonsense they can think of just to justify some shit that Trump said when it's clear to everyone he has no idea what he's talking about and he doesn't think through his position. So they have to work backwards from whatever nonsense dribbled out of his mouth right. to just no, saying, no, this is why it's genius. You just don't understand it because yeah, you're an that's, idiot. That's absolutely a good point. And I think that the the broader point there is that uh, that you're right. Like modern conservatism doesn't really stand for anything at this point except just owning your enemies. So people who are gravitating toward conservatism 
just like to hear the argument that makes the other person look idiotic without having to put a whole lot of thought into it. Um, so there are a lot of appeals to emotion and uh, like dog whistling, like, you know, Scott Adams tweeting about, you know, Trump's being nice to the Muslims and the Dems are all going crazy. Like, well, that's that's irrelevant. That's completely irrelevant. But it signals to your audience that the the opponent is a hypocrite. And therefore, you've won the debate before anybody has a chance to respond to it. Right. Or they'll they'll just find, um, you know, some, you know, whatever minor, you know, f- you know, factual inaccuracy that they can point out, whether or not it's relevant to the original point anyone was making at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it, it's a yeah, it's a completely valueless, principleless debate. And it's almost like it's just not even worth participating in the debate. Because they're not in the debate for any purpose other than to try to like score imaginary like logic points or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> By whatever I mean, means necessary. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week, right, with uh, uh, Ocasio Cortez, where for a while there she was she was too poor to be a responsible congressional representative because she was having a hard time finding an apartment. Right. But Only idiots are poor. Yeah, but then she was too rich to be complaining about being poor because she was wearing a coat. What a hypocrite. You know, like, yeah, and they 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 completely forget as they go through as they go through the fucking day, like what they were outraged about earlier in the day, even if they completely even if the, the right. people that they follow completely changed their position by right. the end of the day. Well and I that's think... that's fine with them because they've they've got the memory of a goldfish and it, as long as there's something new to be either outraged or um, like self-righteously uh, uh, like victorious over. Right. And I think the best example of that recently is this absolutely incredible story where Ivanka Trump for months and months and months used her private email to conduct official government business. Oh God, yes. Let's uh, let's take a break. Let's let's come back to that because that's. Oh my God. All right. Yeah. We'll take a break. We'll be back in a minute. Say, you remember eh, a little over two years ago? Barely. It's been a while. Yeah, right. It's been it's been ten years since then. <laughs> uh, when people were at uh, campaign rallies chanting "Lock her up, lock her up" over Hillary Clinton having you. Oh, you said uh, two days ago, right? Two days ago. Yeah, I remember that two days yeah. ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. But over over the the scandal that government officials, including Hillary Clinton, sometimes use private email instead of their government email to do official government business. I do remember this. I remember it well. It seems like it was a big theme in the campaign. I I remember a lot of talk about emails. I heard the word emails uh, thousands of times, it seems like. I almost feel like we we still see people constantly on Twitter and Facebook and any place else anyone gathers talking about how Hillary Clinton needs to be indicted for using private email servers. Right. I mean, that is the lock her up justification, right? Is that right. she illegally emailed the emails 
Well, that that and Benghazi, which has never been investigated. Well, right. Which is very That's strange. what the emails were about. It was like oh. all of her emails that were like, oh, my God, great job murdering all of those soldiers, team. Hashtag teamwork makes a dream work. Yeah. So uh, this the, the email thing is, is kind of interesting because now it. It turns out what what has been going on in in the most shocking turn of events, uh, Ivanka has decided that just the easiest way to manage you know all of the communications that are happening in the White House, which I'm sure it must be a lot, is in her non Senate confirmed role <laughs> as being some sort of senior White House advisor. Yeah, I forget what her official role is, but yeah, it's like senior advisor to. Well, she's she's first daughter, right? Didn't she didn't she scream that at somebody uh, not too long ago? (laughs) Somebody who got fired out of the uh, like national security apparatus for beefing with Ivanka. She was like, "Where's Sinbad? Where's Sinbad? I need him over here." (laughs) But right, I mean, that's that's you know traditionally an unpaid position to be first kid. You know, you get that Sinbad security detail as kind of a bonus, which is nice, hey, look, but you don't look draw a salary. When, you, when you've got somebody with so much experience in public service, uh, foreign affairs, managing a national economy, as Ivanka Trump, you don't just let her be the first daughter. You've got to stick her in a job. Right. And I mean, she is, you know, she is the most competent of the Trumps, which makes this all the more <laughs> incredible because, yeah, so... Uh, some investigation, uh, which I believe is just like... Yeah, right. Fucking Don Jr. is never going to go down for an email scandal, scandal because nobody takes him seriously enough to ever email well, him Well, I mean, his, his email scandal took him down months ago. It just hasn't quite caught up with him yet, where he was like, <laughs> if if this uh, co- illegal collusion is what you say, I love it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, Eric then. No, nobody emails Eric yeah, anything. Yeah, that guy, he can't... Uh, he forgot his password, so he's safe. Isn't it weird that those two actually do resemble like the real life version of Beavis and oh, Butthead. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. Look up there. It's uncanny. Um, there was some photos of them taken at um, at one of Trump's weddings, I think, and they are just oh, it is just <laughs> some of the most horrifying photography that I that yeah. I have yeah. ever seen. I think Eric Trump does just sit around and do that like horrible Beavis laugh all the time. <laughs> That's all he could say. He's a, Yeah, he's like the salacious crumb of the Trump administration. <laughs> so Ivanka, yeah, so, you know, with all of the emails flying around, she was like, man, this is so much work. Let's just set up a private email domain for my emails uh, to go through. Uh, What's the harm in it? So Jared Kushner and her set up their own personal website, ijkfamily.com, for Ivanka <laughs> Jared Kushner family. And that's what their emails flow through. Yeah. And And they kept the servers in Hillary Clinton's apartment. Boom, baby. It all comes back around. (laughs) Probably. It was a lease. They got a great deal. So (laughs) you can't hold it against them. Um, GoDaddy had a sale. When they did some research by like emailing her and then she emailed back from a private email and they were like, hey, you probably shouldn't be doing this. Um, And then reported on it. Her response, a considered, well thought out response uh, you know, after speaking with, you know, her advisors and her lawyers, I'm sure, was, oh, my bad. I didn't know that you couldn't do that. <laughs> In fairness, it's not like we've been hearing about government officials using emails like ever. That That's such an arcane little twist of, of public service. But yeah, and, and now in the most stunning 
event of the 2018 political flip-floppery Olympics, (laughs) Republicans now have to go out and talk about how using a private email server for government business is actually fine and not a problem and not even bad at all. And in fact, is great and good and uh, smart. Yeah, I was going to ask how they're trying to uh, try to tie those shoelaces together, um, trying to justify it. But I think we covered it in the last section. It doesn't fucking matter because uh, like woofing fans, they don't fucking care. They, they have they have no span of memory for the last scandal that scandalized them. Or, or titillated them or whatever. Now it's their team is under attack. So everything that we said was bad is good now. Well, and the most the hilarious thing to me about this entire at no point in the like over a year that she was using this email to conduct government business. Did anyone did she actually accomplish anything? <laughs> well, right. Now, that's that's a that's a given right there. But <laughs> but just did no one at all at any point just say like, Hey, can you just use your other email? What are you doing? You're a fucking idiot. Like, just right. use your other email. It's not that hard to do. And then this isn't a thing at all. Like, how right. hard well, is that to do? It's Apparently, it's impossible within the Trump administration because everybody knows at this point that if you beef with the Trumps in any way, you're going to be ejected from the White House. Uh, Jim Acosta having turned in his badge after asking a pointed question or um, who was that gal? Um, she was one of his advisors. She had kind of a, kind of an interesting name, something. Oh, Omarosa. Omarosa. <laughs> uh, Omarosa, who, who by unofficial accounts had to be like, Omarosa? Uh, oh, it had to be, well, it, cause it, again, it was like fucking 20 years true, ago, true. you know? Uh, but by by all accounts, had to be like hauled from the building by Secret Service, like screaming, swearing, spitting, and throwing things. Yeah, I, my, one of my favorite things was that uh, CNN interviewed oh good old Tony Scaramucci. Uh, oh yeah, on this one had the had the mooch on the mooch, uh, as you may recall, <laughs> famously fired from the Trump administration after nine days for just calling uh, a New York Post reporter. And just <laughs> ranting for for Co- like ten minutes in a, the most out of his fucking you know, mind. profane rant about <laughs> Steve Bannon sucking his own cock and like how all this stuff and was just immediately fired. He went on CNN and was like, "Yeah, this is just in, this is just indefensible. Uh, this is uh, this is uh, you know bo- real boneheaded move uh, out of on this part right there." <laughs> oh man, the mooch turned on the Trumps. So. Yeah. Oh, the mood. I mean, again, how can you not in this point? Like, how even the mood is like, yeah, I can't defend this one. Like, that's a, right, that's right. a real dumb, dumb play right there. Well, I want to be the first person to say, Mooch, welcome to the hashtag resistance. Oh, he's fully in it. Him and Michael Cohen out there being like, I hope <laughs> I love Michelle Obama's book. You know, oh, changed, uh, changed my life. <laughs> it's so cheesy as to not even really warrant commenting on at this point that. Uh, like pointing at hypocrisies on on the parts of on, on the part of the GOP and more specifically the Trump administration is it's a fool's errand because they don't they don't fucking care. But every once in a while they do do one of these things where it's just how is forty percent of the country just letting them get away with this? 
<laughs> right. Well, it's uh, it's it's pretty amazing, you know, and I it it does make me question. I thought when Trump got elected, is like, yeah, it won't take long for like real Republicans to be like, you know what, I'm not going along with this. Like this is right. this guy's an idiot. He has no idea what he's doing. He's going to get us into some real bad situations if we don't, you know, rein him in and you know counteract him and, and stuff. And they have just fully just gone all in on just whatever he says, whatever he says. Well, absolutely. But it's because he's... There's no limit. There, There's a reason that he's Teflon Don. Right. You know, that he 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 doesn't shy away from a scandal. In fact, he just doubles down on, on his position. Then he does something even more outrageous and makes everybody completely forget that thing that he just did. Uh, no consequences ever stick to him. A uh, good Twitter account, Alexandra Aaron, and uh, she and I have talked about her com- coming on the show, so hopefully we can make that happen sometime soon. Uh, but she was talking about he, he sort of has like a lack of object permanence when it comes to rules. If somebody is explaining to him something, oh, okay, so just, just recently he endorsed an author on his official Twitter account. And it was like, this book is great. You should go out and buy it, which is a thing that public servants really shouldn't do uh, because of their their ability to move the needle and and whatnot. But the president is exempt from those uh, those ethics rules, those conflict of interest rules, simply because we don't have like some kind of a super president who can like monitor somebody's day to day activities and say, no, this is this is violating some rule or something. So basically what happens is an advisor tells Trump, you shouldn't do this. It's illegal. Well, I mean, for you, it's not illegal, but, you know, it it would be a bad idea. But he stops listening at the point of it's not illegal for you. Right. Uh, Because nobody's going to enforce that rule against him, which means that the rule doesn't exist. Uh, Somebody else likened it to uh, the difference between dogs and cats, where you can teach a dog not to get on the kitchen table. But cats are much more simple intelligences. The only thing they really learn is don't get on the table if somebody's looking at you, (laughs) which becomes the rule to them. You know, it's fine for them to do it as long as nobody's going to actually like spray them with a water bottle. You know, whereas dogs are like, you know, loyal and they'll sit in the living room and be all depressed about how they can't get up on the table while the cat is up on the table and just be sitting there guilty like, ah, you're not supposed to do that, you know, but... Trump is like the cat in that sense that if you tell him there's a there's a norm here, there are no consequences for breaking it. But there isn't. He he stops listening at no consequences and basically dares the world to come at him, you know. And and the thing is, he fucking gets away with it every single time because it turns out that we don't actually have any kind of mechanism for enforcing these norms. Yeah, it's just just trying to trust the person in the office to to do the right thing and he is the worst person in the country to to trust in that way you know he quickly found out as he kind of tested the boundaries that the literal worst thing that republicans would do would say well his statement is troubling and <laughs> right. you know i i disagree you know strongly and he he should not have said that and i will continue to vote for whatever he tells me to vote for and campaign well, with him and just do whatever yeah. he wants me to do. I mean, in that way, the Republicans have caught lightning in a bottle, right? Where he he's doing all of the stuff that they actually care about because um, they are not 
they're not feckless ideologues in the sense of they just want to win. They want to win on specific things. They want to win on deregulation. They want to win on tax cuts for the wealthy. They want to win on dismantling the social safety net. And Trump is happy to go along with all of that. So any of his other unsavory activities, any of the other things that like ordinarily would wreck a presidency, um, they're they're okay with doing some mouth noises and some some hand gestures at like how this isn't really appropriate. But as long as he keeps pushing through tax cuts and, you know, gutting all of the the various agencies that are supposed to be making people's lives better, um, getting rid of any kind of scientific data on how, you know, what social scientists agree are the steps we need to take on making life better or, say, addressing climate change or anything like that. Um, they're, they're completely fine with it. As, as it always is with the Trump administration, you couldn't make up a more perfect example of of all of this behavior. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, well, it, the, the joke is that there's always a tweet, right? Like everything that he says now, you can go back a couple of years in his Twitter feed and there's something about him taking exactly the opposite position. It's just the perfect example of like, hey, when Hillary Clinton does it, it's the worst thing ever. Hashtag lock her up. You know, when my own daughter does it, you don't understand the situation. You know, it's very hard work. You know, <laughs> she's just trying to do her best. You know, yeah. why is everybody not, attacking her? This is unreasonable. Not too unlike the like conservative Christian position on abortion, right? That, uh -huh. Like, like my, my abortion, my daughter's abortion is always the the exception to the rule. The most perfect example is recently when Trump got into this whole fight with the Supreme Court. Because he was saying like, oh, the Obama judges are, you know, trying to cause problems for me in the Ninth Circuit appeals. You know, it's so <laughs> right. liberal. And the chief justice was like, no, Donald Trump, like the judiciary is, is independent and, you know, it, it's only there to just call balls and strikes. You know, remember, like, <laughs> wink, wink, right. like we had a deal, you know? Yeah. And he's so stupid that he can't just go along with it and be like, you're right, you know, sorry, uh, you know, I got, I get, you know, this gets heated. But he was instead, he was like, oh, if only that was true. But like, that's why I got to get all my judges in there so they can do all the stuff that I want, regardless yeah, of whether yeah, or not exactly. it's legal. Just, just completely, completely blowing the cover of anybody who's been pretending like judges are actually some sort of. Uh, artificial intelligence like machine of just taking in the statute and the facts and spitting out you know on a on a little piece of ticker tape like exactly what the right objective answer is as right. if as if no judge has ever applied their own political or ideological framework to the decisions that they were making before uh yeah yeah donald trump just blows the lid off the whole thing right and there's no better example of that than than brett kavanaugh who you know, investigated was a was a key participant in like the Monica Lewinsky, Ken Starr investigation with with Bill Clinton and all that stuff. Right. But then when he's being investigated, he's like, "This is outrageous." You know, I can't believe that this is mm -hmm. that this is happening to me. Um, you know, what is what has become of our country when it happens to other people that I don't like? It's completely justified. And just, you know, it's just for the betterment of everyone. But when it happens to me, it's an outrage. Beyond Furthermore, that, that one of the reasons that they wanted him in office to begin with had to do with uh, his his general wishy-washiness on whether a sitting president ought to ever even be indicted. Like whether a sitting president right. can ever be uh, criminally or civilly liable 
for the the actions taken while they're in office, right. whether or not they fall under the scope of the job. Um, I, I mean, that's that's literally the reason they wanted him in office to begin <laughs> with, even though he worked on the Ken Starr investigation. Yeah. He wouldn't even answer in Senate confirmation testimony, hey, can the president pardon himself? He's like, well, that's a great question. One that, you know, I haven't really thought about. You know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Really? Like... It's that same bullshit answer that they always give at this point. Like, anybody, really anybody testifying in front of Congress, which shows just how weak the enforcement mechanisms are of these norms we've been talking about, um, that Congress has no enforcement mechanism to, to get somebody actually on the mat and hold them down to answer a thing. They always just say, like, well... You know, I, I try not to let my ideology get in the way of good decision, and I can't answer that question until you've got facts in front of me that I'm supposed to be deciding on. To, to answer Scott Adams' hypothesis about people <laughs> who, who read fiction or nonfiction, like, maybe it would behoove Republicans to read a little bit of fiction because it would give them a fucking imagination and be able to actually answer a hypothetical pose to them. You know, to just say, I have principles, right, and not... If you can't answer the question, can the president pardon himself? That's like a gimme question, right? Right. The answer is no, because if if any system of laws or government has where anyone at any point can choose whether or not to follow any law and they can just say like, hey, well, you know what? I'm the president, so laws don't count. That's not a system at all. And if you can't say that, then what business do you have doing anything and pretending that you're an impartial judge or you're just calling balls and strikes? It's like if you're the umpire at the game and the other team says like, hey, I got a home run. Uh, and it's like, well, you know, you actually struck out or whatever. And they're like, oh, no, but I get to I'm, I'm in charge. So I get to say, you know, what absolutely. Counts. Yeah. And so you just go, OK, well, I'm just the umpire. What can I say? So so say the Democrats retake Congress. Uh, retake the presidency in 2020. Uh, what I would like to see is an appointment to the Supreme Court where they ask him that same question. And for the nominee to win over all of the, like, don't tread on me libertarians by saying, look, we waged a war against the idea of there being a king. And the president is not a king. Like, we need to adhere to, you know, the principle that no man is above the law. I don't know if it would work. It certainly would make a splash. Yeah. Well, I, I'm interested to see, you know, when the Republicans completely flip flop again uh, and, and what what hilarious uh, contradictory arguments they can continue to make. Um, it's going to be a really exciting time for sure. Yeah. Well, thank God that Donald Trump doesn't, you know, pass a bunch of executive orders that completely circumvent the congressional approval on legislation. Anyway, we should probably wrap that portion up. High note, high note this week. We'll we'll find out. We'll give it we'll give it a try. We will find out. We'll be back in a moment. Trapped in a tailspin, black hawk down. The Bosnian corkscrew soon hit the ground. She ran through a hostile crowd. Hillary claims she dodged live fire. The video proves that she's still a liar. Comedian Sinbad standing proud. Hillary, Hillary, where did your email go? Pandering, scandaling, God, why don't I?
Yeah, so, um, you know, I was trying to think of a good high note, and I did recently see that new Harry Potter movie, but I, I'm not, I'm sure, not sure how I feel about it quite yet, so I don't know if it's a high note or what it is. Not necessarily, not necessarily a high note. This is the second in the, that's the Fantastic Beasts and yeah. Where to Find Them, I think. Fa- yeah, Fantastic Beasts 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and also some <laughs> Some beasts, I guess, but not yeah. not really. Mostly, the, the just the beasts aren't really the focus. Which well, and Grindelwald, Grindelwald is played by Johnny Depp, right? Yeah. Which speaking seems, of crimes, I mean, woo. E- yeah, e- even for 2018, that seems a little on the nose. Yeah, he is. He is quite hateable, um, and it's funny because he's also playing um, Wizard Hitler, basically, but with the added benefit of being in like the 30s and 40s so uh it, it, Wait, so hitler is happening at the like simultaneously yeah um so this is like i think the first fantastic beast movie was like in the mid 20s and this one's like in the late 20s so i think it's like 1929 like on the eve okay. of 1930 um but they literally make direct references to um World War One and and also World War Two. Yeah, sure. The um, the rise of the Nazi Party in Germany right. at that point. Yeah, and you know, there's Harry Potter lore that basically says like, oh yeah, back during like World War Two, Dumbledore fought the evil wizard Grindelwald and won. Hmm? I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. So it's got. I mean, Jude a, a Law barely... Dumbledore in this Look, new movie. It's really strange. J.K. Rowling has a gift for, like, some wordplay and also tying a bunch of tropes together, but she's not actually all that creative because I think the the story has always been, in the wizarding world, the same thing happened uh, as what happened in the real world, uh, like, around World War II, where you had, there was one war that was like a wizarding war, but it didn't really settle things, and it kind of laid the stage for, like, the explicit... uh, it, in that it's wizard nationalist, I guess you would call them, um, to come to power. It, it, you know, it, it mirrors everything that happens um, between like 1915 and 1945 or something uh, in, in the re- in in the actual timeline. Um, so yeah, I don't know though. Do people care about World War One? I? I guess that's my question about all of this introducing like the Grindelwald stuff into the into the narrative, like. Is it necessary to tell the story about that? I mean, absolutely not. Um, and some of the some of the <laughs> cool. things that this movie <laughs> that, that's does your answer. <laughs> uh, may, are just very strange, and it, it's a very confusing movie. Like I thought, I knew a lot about Harry Potter. I'm someone who's read all of the Harry Potter books multiple times. You know, I've seen all the movies multiple times. Uh, you know, I've read behind the scenes stuff. I've read, sure. you know, some of the extra stuff. What watch the bonus features on the DVDs? Absolutely. And, yeah. at, sure. at many, many, many points in this new movie, I was like, I have no idea what the hell they are talking about, like <laughs> at all. Um, and there were like a lot of times where they would like reference like somebody's name and like do it like in a winky way, where they're like, "Come over here," you know, Abernathy, huh? Mm-hmm. Abernathy, right. right? And you're like, I guess that sounds familiar, but I don't really remember. Like, yeah, and and you're also just wondering, like, 
okay, what's the what's the comic book or the video game or whatever that I'm going to have to buy to understand what happened in this scene right now? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's so much there's so much stuff happening where you're like, oh, this person's related to this person. But how and like people's ages and stuff just don't match up because you're like, how old is Dumbledore if he's like middle aged Jude Law in the <laughs> 30s? Wait, yeah. But I guess he's like 120 or something when he he dies in Harry Potter. Spoilers for Harry Potter. Everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's just a, it's Shit, just a we very just, we strange, just blew, confusing thing. We it just uh, like multiple episodes in a row. We have completely blown the ending of old ass franchises for people who may not have gotten around to them yet. No, I remember one of my one of my favorite um, spoiler stories was when. The Lord of the Rings movies were coming out, um, and I was talking with friend of the show Andrew Cumby about the Lord of the Rings movies and our expectations for them. And I said, "Yeah, I really don't understand what they're going to do with this third movie because it's it's a very strange book, and legit like half of the book is after they destroy the ring." Right. And he was like, "What? <laughs> Whoa, bro! Like." <laughs> spoilers for Lord of the Rings, bro. Like that movie's not even out yet. And I was like, well, yeah, but that book is like a, it's like a classic book that's been out well, for also, 70 also, years or something. Also, if you've, if you've seen the story up to that point, you know that the ring is going to be destroyed. <laughs> that's what I said too. I was like, what like, did you think was going to happen in the, like, in the movie? The, the bad guys don't fucking win. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it's a plot twist for uh, Lord of the Rings 3. Like uh, to, all, all the bad guys win in like the first 10 minutes. And then it's just about them <laughs> murdering everyone for the rest of the movie. No, it's not going to happen. I would read that version. You know, uh, there was somebody who wrote, uh, I, th I think it was written in like Russian. Oh, or I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Somebody, somebody wrote a fan fiction of Lord of the Rings, which is the entire story from Sauron's point of view. And it turns out that he actually wasn't bad. It was all of the like propaganda of Middle Earth, particularly from the elves um, trying to make him out to be the bad guy, uh, which is why everyone went to war with him so he had to turn his economy into a wartime like defensive economy right it was it was a, a retelling of the lord of the rings in that the you know the army of sauron was not like an evil force but like a, a worker uh uprising yeah against yeah, yeah, totally. the, the like capitalist oppressor class uh, of the of the rich elves, you yeah, know, the, the, the 1%. old money that yeah, the the air, all of the the aristocracies of Middle Earth were were culpable in in promoting a, a distinctly anti worker anti proletariat sort of economy, um, except for the the anarchist hobbits who figured everything out long long ago, and nobody really bothers each other. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's gonna be um it's gonna be crazy. Do you remember that I think Amazon like bought the rights to do like a Lord of the Rings universe television show? Yeah, in, they're like, doing a that, giant right? Game of Thrones style. What could that possibly be? I hope it's I, this. I don't know. I hope it's the the communist orc uprising oh, that tale. Would be so good. I, I yeah, kinda don't think it will be, but I don't know what not, else it could be. Not from Amazon, probably. No, it's going to be a bunch of old, <laughs> boring ass tales from the Silmarillion. But yeah, uh, we we do need to. We should crowdfund like a socialist um, television program. Uh, it, you know, looking at looking at some of these uh, 
with some of these fantastical series where somebody gets cast as the the bad guy, except for some reason there are all of these hierarchies among the good guys and the bad guys are all basically just one big mob of workers. You were talking about that on the last episode too, that uh, what we need is like an Elder Scrolls or uh, yeah, a, like Halo type game or, or a, a Saints Row or GTA where you're like organizing workers. I think like GTA, except it's newsies. I think it was the phrase you used. Oh, heck yeah, dude. That would be awesome. I, I think there there's there's great potential for that. And, you know, I have hope that that it will one day come to pass. Yeah, um, sure. You got to drive around and uh, like secure all of the printing presses um, you know, like keep keep your printing presses safe from like cops and Pinkertons <laughs> who are coming God, for that'd them. Be awesome. Uh, oh yeah, you, you gotta gotta show up at strikes to like defend your people from the strike breakers. Yeah, I mean, think of yeah. What if what if in GTA instead of like a stupid like side mission or whatever where it's just like oh hey bring me this uh, car go steal this car and like drive it over to my house or whatever if it was like yo like go to this strike uh you know. Uh, peeps, peeps are there. Like we gotta, we gotta go break this up or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You know, we gotta go defend the strike from, uh, from the the thugs that they, the scabs that they hire <laughs> right, or yeah. whatever. All of the, all of the collecting missions you get sent on are like driving around to local food banks and churches to pick up strike break, uh, like supplies for people, and then drive them back to the place where everyone's yeah. organizing. It's funny. There's actually there's a a video game. Uh, called Shadows of Mordor, which is um, a Lord of the Rings game where you like infiltrate the the orc army, and you could like um, capture oh, like it, like enslave the the orcs. I remember the, this one blew up online because everybody had a, had a problem with the like the ethics of that. Or like, are the orcs even bad guys? And even if they were, is it right to enslave somebody's consciousness to yours? Yeah, and some of them, you know, when you powered up a little bit more, there was stuff where it's like you literally like put your like, you know, white fire hand on like their forehead and you're like, <laughs> you like mind control right. them. But early on, <laughs> you just like beat them up and then they're like, hey, hey man, like, do you need me to spy for you? Because like, I totally will if you yeah, just stop I, I would rather trying do to that murder thing. me right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was pretty great, you know, and you could like get your own spies in there and then you have to be like, oh, take out, you know, take out my boss and then I'll ascend and then I'll, you know, be more powerful and I'll be able to help you more. It was a really interesting uh, system and s- still not a lot of games have, have picked that up, but it's a really interesting thing where it kind of has that procedurally generated thing where it was like random characters would get assigned these random traits, but it would work because you kind of would get attached to them over time where, you know, some guy would be like, uh, you know, the, the Raven guy or whatever. And he has like bird feathers all over him. And he's like, yeah, I'm your spy guy, you know? And you're like, Oh, this guy again, Oh, this guy's so much fun. He's always, he's always bringing me like little secrets or whatever and telling yeah. me, you know, go murder this guy. Cause he's about to go do a thing. Yeah. Also, guy, your your costume is it's a little bit overt. Like you need to tone it down a little bit. Just wear like some some leather or something. Not not cover yourself in raven feathers. No way, man. Because... You got to stand out from the crowd. You know that's how you ascend the ranks. It's like WWE yes, out there at Sauron's army. You know you. Gotta... That is that is what always has made a good spy is being able to stand out from other people you and have be your incredibly noticeable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean. Um... Yeah, Harry Potter movies, man, uh, about World War II and, and fascism. It, it's kind of funny because it seems like 
she originally was like, hey, let's make some movies about just, like, finding, uh, like, you know, crazy, wacky, mythical creatures. Like, won't that be fun? We'll just go on some wacky adventures. Right. But then as soon as, like, Trump got elected, she was like, nope, hard pivot into just full-on World War II, uh, like, Nazism versus the, the forces of, of good yeah, well, and her politics aren't great either. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to the the third or what they're making like five of these movies or something. That's what they um, say. Yeah, uh, I, I'm looking forward to based on J.K. Rowling's Twitter presence. I'm looking forward to episode three or four having some overt reference to like how Israeli settlements are good actually. <laughs> Uh, yeah. that that is absolutely the the road that she is headed down right now <laughs> if only you know the end yeah if only she could do like a uh, magic world war uh two post world war two reconstructionism or whatever <laughs> oh yeah right <laughs> yeah but that yeah that's yeah. the thing Her, about hermione it that... hermione turns into uh uh margaret thatcher or something right oh totally yeah i don't know it's it seems like it's it's an interesting idea to have you know, movies about Wizard World War Two, but I just can't trust them to to do a good job, especially when they're already kind of setting up that like the Johnny Depp's part of Johnny Depp's plan in this movie is like, hey, if we don't like enslave all of humanity, like World War Two is going to happen and that's going to be bad. Um, <laughs> and you're like, well, that's actually a really that's actually a really good point. Like, uh, that's a that's a compelling argument. Um, but then he just has to, like, add a bunch of racism on top of it. And you're like, oh, you know, I was with you with that let's stop World War II idea. <laughs> but then you, then you kept throwing the racism on there. Oh, man. Our anarchist listeners are going to be incredibly upset with us for this segment. So, yeah, we'll see how they mess it up uh, even more in future future <laughs> films. Stay tuned through the... The next, you know, I think every two years, you know, it's going to be, you know, every election year we get a new Harry Potter or fascism movie. It's going to be real great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing people like more uh, when they go to the movie theater uh, than being reminded of exactly the politics of outside the movie theater. Yeah. It was kind of funny. There was people in my theater um, with like their young children to be like, oh, we're going to look at the uh, the Fantastic Beasts. You know, won't that be fun? You right. Know, look at these Fantastic Beasts. And then they're in there. Yeah, like in the first one where you go into his suitcase and he's got that like nice little garden where they all live and stuff. It, it was great. Yeah, he's got like a whole basement. There's like one scene there. And then they're like, oh, time to go to Wizard World War II. And everybody. Uh, yeah, it, there's. And like I said, uh, the highest baby murder count in a film that I've seen in, in many, many years. Multiple babies are are murdered throughout the course Yikes. of this Man, film. I mean, and I look, just did even, not expect that at all. Even even the Batman films, when they decided to go grim dark, they've got the Joker blowing up a hospital, but he's called in the bomb threat, so everybody's cleared out. You know, he's not actually murdering babies, right? And it's just so it's just you you could have cut some of the baby murders, and it, it would have been fine. They're just in there to be like, hey. Just in case you thought Johnny Depp's plan to stop World War II was good, we better murder some babies real quick so that it's <laughs> well, very clear who is good and who is evil in this story. Did did George Lucas consult on this script? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right. Well, 
I might have to check that one out. I, I enjoyed the first one, except for the god-awful, I mean, honestly, just nightmarish uh, death penalty stuff that happens in it. But, uh, yeah, I might have to check out the new one. Meanwhile, if you see any good movies over Thanksgiving weekend, um, happy Thanksgiving, by the way. It's already happened by this point. Yeah, what's uh, your Black you? Friday plans? You're going to be... Uh... You know, hitting those, uh, hitting that Walmart 5 a.m. Yeah, uh, sorry, did I say 5 a.m.? I'm at 5 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. You <laughs> right. know, go line up. Nothing like that. I think I'm going to hang out with my niece and nephew and play some, uh, play some Portal 2 with my nephew. Nice. Eat leftovers. We've got all the, we got the white bread and the, the Vlasic stacker pickles for making turkey sandwiches. Mm. Yeah. How about you? You doing any, uh, any big shopping? You know, it seems like now more than ever, the deals are like, didn't you get that deal two weeks ago? Like the deals are are out there. Like you don't have to do the thing anymore. And, you know, I think hopefully we can just get to a period where it's not like you have to do your deals at like the afternoon of actual Thanksgiving. And it's like, oh, no, I did my deals on like Tuesday. So like, I'm good. We can hang out for a while. Right. Uh, and, nice. and meanwhile, uh, all workers who are being forced to work on Black Friday, uh, our uh, all of our prayers, our strength to you, uh, solidarity. Uh, try to ruin people's day. It's it's a terrible thing that they're doing to you, both the employers and the customers. I will say, as someone who worked retail, I worked at a Target for many years, and Black Friday to me. It was a crazy day because you had to like come in at five in the morning and you just were there for like 10 hours uh, just handing people like, you know, $79 digital cameras all day. Um, but it's, <laughs> Digital cameras, yeah, man, I'd forgotten about those. It's the one it's the one day of the year where you don't have to be nice, fake nice to people like at all. You could just be like, you know, they come in and they're like, hey, where's the digital cameras? And you're like, come on, you idiot. Like. We sold out of those like seven hours ago. Like, you think you're going to roll in here at 3 p.m. and get the doorbuster deals? Like, you're a freaking moron. And they're like, oh, good on you, mate. All right. See you around. It was Wait, great. Did, did, did they wander out of downtown London or something? <laughs> yeah, they did. They were like, I just had to see it for myself. I just had to see an right. American Black Friday. It's crazy. It's like here. a guy in a, like a bowler cap. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, that's very good. All right. All right. Listeners, if you have to work on Black Friday and you can't radicalize your workplace yet, um, that's that's a good high note. Just be rude to people. They're expecting it. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> it's the perfect end to a perfect holiday. Oh, uh, well, again, all of this is happening in the past tense because all of this has already happened. So I, I hope that everybody had a nice Thanksgiving and... If you're a worker, Black Friday also. Yeah, I hope you all survive the mall stampedes. <laughs> we have a guest coming on the show next week, but uh, until I, I confirm that, I don't want to uh, get your hopes up and then dash them. So uh, listen in next week, hopefully for a really cool guest. Follow the show on all of your things, um, all the SoundClouds and iTunes and uh, Twitter at liquid underscore flannel i'm matthew hodges i'm on twitter at matt the great and brendan williams is my co-host i am at brendan williams with one l on the twitters and we'll all be bracing for the onslaught of christmas 
Oh yeah, it's full on, it's Christmas time. Now that that Thanksgiving is over, the radio, it's Christmas, uh, you can't escape it. War, you know, you hear a lot about the war on Christmas, but sometimes it does feel like Christmas is waging a war on us. Boom, baby. In, in <laughs> communist America, <laughs> Christmas wars you. <laughs>